2: Bring in show music, please. This
0: is Squawk Pod, the daily podcast brought to you by the team behind Squawk Box.
1: NYC, this is CNBC Control
3: 2.
0: CNBC's essential morning show. He's here, Every day, get the best stories, debate, and analysis from the biggest names in business and politics.
3: All right, we're coming to it next.
0: Today, the NBA facing backlash in China, Joe, Andrew, and Melissa Lee on Hong Kong and basketball.
3: The
4: quest for freedom and, and everything that we have here can wait because we got some big dough to earn over in China right now.
0: Former Aetna CEO Mark Bertolini on paying for health care.
2: We need to think about health as the opposite of poverty, and poverty is the opposite of health.
0: And MIT professor Andrew McAfee says we're doomed.
2: We're
1: moving from an economy where atoms are central to an economy where bits are central.
0: How to make more from less in the modern economy. We've got those stories and much more.
1: I disagree with I
5: completely. I know okay. you do. I know you do.
0: I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. It's Monday, October 7th, 2019. Squawk Pod begins right now.
5: Stand under by in three, two,
1: one, Q-Anders.
5: Good morning. Welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We're live at the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. Manager Ross Sorkin along with Joe Kernan and Melissa Lee, who's hanging out with us this morning. Thank you for being here. Becky's off today.
6: Chinese officials are reportedly growing hesitant to pursue a broad trade deal with the United States as talks are set to resume this week. Vice Premier Liu He, who will lead negotiations for China, is telling dignitaries his offer to the U.S. will not include commitments on reforming China's industrial policy or government subsidies. These are some of the big demands Trump administration has been making in the trade talks. And we do have an update now on the crisis in Hong Kong. The city is struggling to recover after a night of violent clashes. (coughs) Protesters defied government threats about wearing masks and were met with tear gas. Leaders invoked colonial era emergency powers to threaten protesters with a year in prison for hiding their faces. Some mass demonstrators threw bricks and petrol bombs. Police arrested dozens of protesters and bust them away under new emergency laws. China's military threatened to arrest protesters who aimed laser lights at its garrison. planned for tonight. In the meantime, some grocery stores, other businesses have reopened after closing early yesterday. The metro is only partially functioning because of serious vandalism to stations.
4: And in the uh, just don't tweet about anything anymore uh, section of our uh, news today, also making news, the general manager of the Houston Rockets of the NBA had to apologize over a now deleted tweet that spoke in support of Hong Kong protesters would seem to be Something that you could do, I guess. Maybe we all stand yes. for freedom, right? Of but uh, in freedom of speech. But in this case, the, the NBA has big interests in China. The tweet uh, from Daryl Morey said, "Fight for freedom, stand with Hong Kong." And then that statement was attacked by the Chinese Consulate General in Houston. I guess he saw it. And then uh, the Chinese Basketball Association, which urged the Rockets to correct the error. Uh, spelling or or what, but in an apology, Morey said he appreciated the support of Houston's Chinese fans and sponsors and has had a lot of opportunities since his tweet to hear and consider other perspectives, the uh, (laughs) non-freedom perspective, I guess. The NBA is now China's most popular sports league. Politicians on both sides of the aisle criticized the Rockets and the NBA for apologizing, including Senator Ted Cruz. And presidential candidate, and
5: I don't know Beto if you sort of watched this all play out, but then you had Joe Tsai yeah. of Alibaba, who owns the Nets, owns the Nets criticizing him for? for the comment, for the comment, for the comments. Right. You had the NBA originally come out and say that don't the comment apologize. was regrettable. Really, but then
4: don't apologize. don't apologize. It
5: said regrettable. I actually went to look. It said regrettable and understood that it deeply offended other people, but but didn't say that they were defending him and then later came out on a Chinese website the NBA later and went and took it even further and said that this was you know uh, extremely dis- that they were extremely disappointed in this inappropriate comment. So it sort of played out over time in this very remarkable way. And clearly the whatever phone calls were being made from Chinese officials to people by the way not just I imagine Adam Silver but also people like Joe Tsai. Sure. To say you got to you got to do something here. Oh,
6: the NBA wants to expand in China, right? You know, CCTV in the meantime said we're not going to broadcast games. Li Ning, the sports retailer, said we're going to cut ties. Right. So the fallout was immediate when it came. Well what's so
5: interesting cities. to me about this is the NBA had long been seen as handling some of the issues in the United States mm-hmm. on the court better, for example, than the NFL. Where, oh, remember like the who, kneeling and there was a, the kneeling controversy, and there was a whole view that somehow uh, the NFL was making it. Uh, was not allowing players to express their own views this this is uh i mean and they were not allowed to express their own views for commercial purposes to some degree right this is in very many ways a geopolitical version of that
6: yes what you're shaking your head
4: yeah, I, I, I mean, don't bury the lead. I mean, it's like the the quest for freedom and and everything that we have here can wait because we got some big dough to earn over in China right now. With as the NBA, that's what this is all about. I think you can view this whole NBA story very cynically at this point. I mean, it it seemed to me like that was some sort of support for the. For, for the protesters in Hong Kong, that we understand right, what you're doing, right. and you can't even say that now because you've got money interests yes. in mainland China. Yes. Oh, okay. If you're okay with that, see, I'm as not a, okay with as this. a social justice warrior. I thought you'd be I all was over it. I'm not okay with this. it. And the reason I raised the
5: NFL is if you're not okay with that, you shouldn't have been okay with what was happening so are you at, at the that NFL there could a year be, ago. There
6: could be boycotts of the NBA here in the United States for people no, who believe. No, but I mean, I'm,
5: I'm I saying I if that was, if that was, if if the view was there was business interests mm-hmm. around. The NFL's position a year or two ago right. around kneeling on the field, and there were people who thought it was inappropriate, but there was a view that it was a commercial problem for them. And if you believe that that was inappropriate, you or if you, then you should
4: have a different view on this too. Meaning I, I, at all, I, I don't if you see that. I, right, don't, I don't. I disagree with that completely. I know you do. I know you do. See. On one hand, you're, you're pushing back against a repressive regime that has right. internment camps. On the other yes. hand, there you're, you're, are certain people that think that, that kneeling during the National Anthem is, is disparaging to the United States there, flag, there where people, we have a different system over here that. that might be a little bit but better overall people, in terms of human rights and freedom. Than the, over-
5: the United States flag represents the freedom of speech. Alibaba's co-founder and Brooklyn Nets owner, Joe Sai, posted an open letter. It's a long one, but worth a read to NBA fans on his Facebook page, saying he felt compelled to speak out and that supporting what he called a separatist movement in Chinese territory amounted to a third-rail issue in China. Meanwhile, the NBA released its own statement yesterday, saying any offense to Chinese basketball fans was regrettable. Joining us right now to talk about this and so much more going on this morning is Ed Lee, New York Times media reporter and CBC contributor Nila Patel, is also here, editor-in-chief at The Verge. Good morning to both of you. morning. What do you mean? So... D- <laughs> You you look at the Joe Tsai statement this morning,
7: and I have to think that somebody in China called him and said, you need to right? I mean, how does this happen? So, I, you know, when I was uh, my last job, when I was managing at Recode, we'd ha- we have these events. And Joe Tsai showed up at one of our events and I met him for about 10 minutes in the green room. You know, a very, very articulate, very smart, very yep. savvy person. So I'm going to have to agree with you that there's a very good chance that, you know, someone in Beijing gave him a ring and said, hey, you need to say something. Because if you read his Facebook posts. It's like Beijing could not have written it better themselves. Right? That's right? yeah,
3: Chinese Wikipedia. Yes,
7: exactly. It just it. It's a textbook, it's very in lockstep with their messaging for right. years and years and years.
3: Okay, but what does
5: this say in the larger picture about the NBA? I and mean, we can talk about U.S. companies more broadly, but I'm thinking the NBA, which has taken a very progressive view of giving its players and its members uh, an opportunity to speak out on all sorts of social issues, in a way, frankly, they were given a lot more credit than the way the NFL had handled some of the situations in terms of the, the, the knee on the uh, field two years ago and the like, does this change
3: that dynamic? I think it is fascinating that James Harden was like, we apologize to China. That is a remarkable position for a player to take. Uh, Look, this is not the first time big American business has run right into Chinese politics. Marriott fired like a 49-year-old social media manager for liking a a Facebook page, just liking, he didn't say anything, he just liked a Facebook page from a Marriott account. Um, I think Gap once was forced to recall a t-shirt uh, that had the wrong map, it didn't include Taiwan. This is, uh, it is a third rail issue in China. I thought that Joe Tsai statement was notable because it did not reflect any of the attitudes or concerns of the people in Hong Kong, right. uh, which also has a Do you
5: think the NBA the gets way. any backlash in the United States over this issue? Senator, Meaning, Senator Even Sass has already said something.
7: Well, oh, t- Ted Cruz and also and Beto O'Rourke are Senator on the said, same yep, side of yep, this, yep, apparently. Rare,
5: rare. Do you think, do you think that U.S. citizens and NBA fans in the United States say, there's a problem here now at the NBA?
3: I think I think it's the preseason for the NBA. And I right. think once games start, the nature of sports, you brought up the NFL. The NFL's back in full swing. That, that game is right. great. It has its own set of social issues. It signs a deal with Jay-Z. It's got Jennifer Lopez and Shakira at halftime. Once the season's underway and the games start, the American public tends to move on very quickly. How this goes on in China, I think, is a big deal for the NBA. That's a big market for them. And as we stay in the trade war, in the context of overheated international relations in this country, how is how does every company that has a big business in well, the that's China material? Well also that's a and for depression. NBA
7: fans in the US, I mean the Hong Kong protesters are it's not as tactile an issue right. for them as what
3: Kaepernick so was protesting on the field. You know?
5: about U.S. companies doing business in China and what they can or
7: cannot say? Well, and, and does this... Take note of just how in lockstep the the Chinese were, right? The sponsors, the China's Basketball Association, Tencent, which streams all these games, they have a $1.5 billion deal with the NBA. They immediately shut it down. They're Taobao like, we're just not...
6: just took off, yes. uh, just this morning, took exactly. off all the
7: Houston Rockets. So fans. if you're going to do business in China, if you want those dollars, if you want those fans, like, you really, you can't even a tweet like that. We have a
4: Nobel Prize for medicine. We right? do. You know what's tomorrow is physics. Wednesday uh, is chemistry. And, and then Thursday is literature, 2018 and 2019. Did you know that? Uh-uh. Did you know that? I, you know? Because it was... It, it, you, you know everything. But actually, because last year, uh, the uh, literature prize was suspended. Right. Because of a scandal. And
5: right. they couldn't find somebody. That they, no, choose. it was a scandal that rocked right. the academy. Right. But does that mean that they're going to give it to... They're going to give it to... Somebody th- from 18 actually gets one. Yeah. Okay. There's two.
3: Cheese will be next.
0: Next on Squawk Pod, healthcare as we know it. Mark Bertolini, the former CEO and chairman of Insurer Aetna, takes issue with Senator Elizabeth Warren's healthcare plan.
2: If you finance a bad investment, no matter how you finance it, it's a bad investment. And single-payer Medicare for all is just refinancing a bad investment.
0: What's on the horizon for financial markets? This is SquawkPod. Last month, CNBC surveyed 800 Americans across the country. The All-America Survey has been asking about economic sentiment every quarter for over a decade. This quarter, it showed the lowest level of optimism about the economy in three years. If you listen to Squawk Pod regularly, we talked about that in a show last week. The latest All-America Survey also revealed healthcare as the biggest economic issue for Democrats, Republicans, and independents heading into the 2020 election. Bigger than taxes, bigger than trade. Now,
4: here's Joe coming up For a closer look at the healthcare sector, let's welcome Mark Bertolini, a former Aetna chairman and CEO. He's author of Mission Driven Leadership, my journal, uh, my journal as a-, a Journey, my yeah, journey. Yeah, yeah, thank you for writing journal in there. My, <laughs> I thought it was my journey. I don't know what my journal would be. My journey as a radical uh, capitalist. So listen, um, are you surprised that that's the number one um, concern. And do you really, is it the number one concern if you were really to drill down on that? And, and what does it indicate? Since uh, at this point, most people, I think, take for granted their private insurance that they have through their employer, and it's really pretty good. So who are, who are, are, they, who are the respondents talking about that are worried about health
2: care as an issue? Or is it an overall issue in terms of cost? I, I, yeah, I don't think it's the insurance. I think it's the cost and the fear of what happens if people get sick. So more than 50%, almost 60% of Americans right now, somewhere in that range moves, are $400 away from a financial hardship. And the next 20% are $4,000 away from a financial hardship. And when you look at those statistics, that's less than a deductible or more than, less than a deductible for most people. And so if you see that as a cause, you say, well, what am I gonna do if somebody gets sick of my family? How do I think about buying pills that I can't afford? What if I have to go to the doctor? Do I really need to go? And I think that's leading to a lot of fear in people's minds. Still doesn't seem like
4: like that would become... I, I, I would still think that, uh, I don't know, that other issues would, would move ahead of that. Unless you read so much about problems with... Uh, I don't know with the Affordable Care Act and the way it's not being supported, I, I guess by, the, supposedly by the Trump administration. I think we
2: need to think about health as the opposite of poverty and poverty is the opposite of health. If you can't afford to put good food on the table, if you can't afford to go, you, it's too unsafe to go out for a walk at night, basic Maslow's hierarchy of needs leads to health deterioration. and and the quality of people's lives deteriorates. So People don't define their health as a disease. I'm a spinal cord injury survivor, don't talk about it that way. They define their health by what it does to limit the life they want to lead. And when people feel their life closing in around them, and they can't afford the things that they need to live the life they want to lead, health is one of those big things. Okay, I understand the health, but, but
4: the, the, having only $400 for an emergency seems more that it's having only four hundred dollars. Not not the health aspect of the thing, but it, maybe income inequality or not making enough money or or you know being stuck in a lower quintile of uh I think it
5: manifests itself as
2: health. Well, apparently it does. Right. It all does. And health doesn't isn't something you plan, it happens. Right? Right. And but so normally it's gonna happen. Young people think they're invincible,
4: they don't even want insurance half the time. But young people aren't the problem. You're talking about the people that are worried.
5: I'm talking about you and me. So
4: speak, speak to what happens <laughs> if Elizabeth Warren
5: wins the presidency. What happens?
2: Well, let's talk about single payer or Medicare for all. Um, if you look at how Medicare is operated today and Medicaid for that matter, private insurance companies run the business. The government does not run it. And so when I ask people what do they think about single payer, they'll point out to the UK or Canada's places where they have that, and that's not what we're talking about. Because if we're gonna talk about socialized medicine, physicians, hospitals, and insurance, that's what Canada and the UK are, then we have a system like that in the United States, it's called the VA, it doesn't work really well. So what we really are talking about is how do we pay for what is a broken system today? So we conflate financing and investing. What is the investment we're making? How is it rendered? How are we taking care of people? That's where we need the urgency, because if you finance a bad investment, no matter how you finance it, it's a bad investment. And single-payer Medicare for all is just refinancing, excuse me, refinancing a bad investment.
5: And so you don't think it's, it's how it's paid for so much as what you're getting on the
2: other end? Definitely, we're, on the, we're holding on to the wrong end of the stick. We're all looking at it, what we can control in the government and insurance companies, drug companies, it's really from the consumer standpoint what they need. But do you think
5: that if Elizabeth Warren does get in, into office, A, she'd be successful in, cre- in, in, in actually turning the country and the government towards a true
2: single-payer system? Do you think that's even plausible unto itself? I don't think it's plausible because the Democratic Party doesn't support that in total. When you look at polling Democrats, right. they are in a place where you know, they don't believe that single-payer is the way to go. And 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 if you look at Congress and its inability to act on virtually anything these days, let alone doing something as massive as single payer, if Elizabeth Warren were in office as President Warren, she would face the same gridlock that President Trump.
4: But she wants to think, I mean, you say Democrats don't. So you're just talking about the fragmentation of the Democratic Party. She yes. does. She
2: wants that. Right. She so wants she... that. But what do you, how are you going to get anything done in this Congress today? Even within each party, there are fractions that don't allow her to make that move.
5: Is there something that you think could get done that would actually be a positive step forward?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, Michael Bennett, who's a really distant candidate in all of this, and I think a really great guy, has a really good plan called Medicare X. Um, don't love the name. But I think the idea of Medicare for all more, which was what candidate Clinton talked about when she ran for office in the last election, And I think it would have been better than when we did Obamacare. If we would have just done Medicaid expansion and we would have means tested Medicare for people under 65 down to some age, let's say 50, and said you can buy into the Medicare program based on your ability to pay, we would have done as good as or better than Obamacare a lot cheaper. Why would the outcome be any better than what you
4: described earlier for Medicare?
2: Because those two financing systems work really well. Yeah, but the the care delivery wouldn't be any better than it is. I think the Medicare, well, let's talk about the president's order last week. He put out an order that said Medicare Advantage should have more services available, including social determinants. And in that order is a lot of really good language by Medicare Advantage can save the country a lot of money. I think it's a huge opportunity to fix the safety net around Medicare. Now, we have to put it into regulation. It needs to be done by next June in order to price it. And if it doesn't get done by next June, then it's into the next so election. So what's ailing in the whole sector if, if none of
4: this is going to happen? All these companies should be in, in a great position.
2: What happened in 2011, in 2012, in 2013, when the ACA was being put into effect and all of Wall Street said, you know what? Bad industry, they're going to be put out of business. Let's sell them short or let's stay away. The same thing's happening now with a lot of the rhetoric going on around healthcare, care. And I think that's just going to have to pass until Wall until Street until see sees they, it. They, they're they're so they're business. wrong?
4: They're, they're...
6: It sounds like it's a great buying opportunity then.
2: If, you, mean... be, if you believe in the long-run <laughs> resilience of the industry, which it does have, quite frankly, um, I think that this too shall pass. Okay, but now
5: that you're not in the business and can speak unencumbered, if you will, yeah. when people point at the boogeyman being the insurance companies or the boogeyman being the pharmaceutical companies or, I mean, you, or, the, or the hospital chains right, the these ends. days, right? Middlemen. Mm-hmm. Do you now sit or can you sit with some distance or perspective and say, actually, yeah, the, the, the profits in that industry are too much, dare I say, in one, in one or another?
2: I think the profits are where customers don't see value. So if we stand on the consumer side of it and say, how can you help me live the life I want to lead? How can you help me assure that I'll have a healthy state of being while I live that life? Then it's a fundamentally different conversation. I would go back to the debate around the new capitalist model that's going on now. For a long time, we as business people have been encouraged to steward scarce resources. And for a long time that was capital, financial capital. It's not the case anymore. And we were encouraged to put at risk plentiful resources. Those were people. Put another person on the line. Put another person in the machine. What's happened now is it's all flipped. For the last, I would argue, 20 years, we've seen a shift where financial capital is more plentiful, the markets are more efficient, and human capital has become more and more scarce as our education systems, People's lifestyles have deteriorated our human capital. And until we do better for people and then take care of them and steward them like we've stewarded financial capital, we're not going to fix this problem. And so that's why people are now worried. That's why we have an opioid epidemic is people cannot understand how the system has let them down and they're living these what they would view as as hopeless lives. You don't believe it, Joe. No, I, I think that. You know,
4: I, I think for a lot of reasons, we need to, you know, to try to equalize opportunity through education. I don't know how we're failing people through education. I don't know how we're failing people um, in, in terms of the hopelessness of, of being in, in certain demographics.
2: But part and, of and that's a healthcare that. story. It's the healthcare story. It's I don't the think basic it's as much
4: healthcare as it is education, and I think when you try to tackle education, you run into a bunch of sacred cows, and, and we're back. You know, we throw more money at it, we get nowhere with it, and you know, and then we're back to square one. I, I think you need jobs training for for jobs that that exist right now, not for you know English majors or, or whatever. I mean, I think we need to to match up the the, the what we're training people for with where the jobs.
2: Yeah, are. It's not high school and it's not college. I'll argue it's elementary school. When you have 85 percent of the kids in Harlem elementary schools, two grade levels behind reading in the second grade, they're on a very different pipeline than the kids when right. I grew up. And so I'm talking about teaching kids to read. When 40% of the kids in some school districts up in, in Harlem are living in homeless shelters and moved from night to night, we gotta fix those issues. Right. And, and, and if we looked at the root of, we make sure our banks are safe, we make sure people's money is safe, but do we really make sure our people are safe? We're not doing that. We're letting them figure it out. And when we let them figure it out, we're going to hollow I, out. I, I'm not the sure what discussion. you're
4: arguing for, whether you're arguing for an expansion of the safety net or whether you're because the safety net was expanded for, for eight years. to. I mean, you, you saw what happened with all parts of the uh, of the entitlement program. We did not. That, eight, fix that, that r- didn't help at all. It we didn't did help not- at all. And, and when you, you get people off out of those programs and productive again. That actually helps. And, and, and disability has been going down, food stamps, just you, expanding a safety net and throwing pro- more money at it is not the answer. I agree. You okay, then how are you going to do it?
2: You can't be productive if okay. you can't read. You can't be productive if you're living in homeless shelters. So we need to take the money that we give to all of these fancy places... And we need to put it back into our schools and into okay. our neighborhoods and at the community we've tried. Level. We've tried with our schools. federal government. You has like charter, let schools? Let charter schools? Should we do charter schools? Do we try to break the stranglehold our of the union? Our federal government has let okay, how do the we American do public down. We should ignore where the federal government's headed and focus on the community and, be, and, 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 and get back to community governance. I mean, there are, and there are, success the the community. are success
4: stories in charter schools. There are success stories in a lot of different areas that are pushed yep. back by certain... Uh, now you're talking about unions, which is... I am talking about, you know, about anti it's, it's a real issue. It is. And that's, exa- that's, that's the core issue. issue of what we're talking about here. What do you think it is? You want to just expand the safety net? And, and, well, no. I, I actually think that the health issue is the baseline issue,
5: and then you get to the... And then, you, and then you can finally even get to the education issue. Right. Look, they're all one of a piece, ultimately.
2: You can't fix poverty without fi- fixing health. You can't do it. And there are just some basic things that aren't happening in this country anymore. In San Francisco, they're arguing about building homeless shelters. They should be taking buildings and turning them into homes, not homeless shelters. Homeless shelters are incredibly unsafe. There's a
4: lot of things wrong with how government's being done in in San Francisco, Mark.
2: And and so our federal government's let us down immensely. We should go back to community governance. We should get people engaged in the community. And all of us that have money to to, to invest should invest it there, not in um, big institutions.
4: All right, Mark. Thanks uh,
2: for being Thank with you us. You uh, know, Again, the book "Mission Driven <laughs> Leadership:
4: My Journey as a Radical Capitalist."
0: Next on Squawk Pod, the sputtering, stuttering starts of startups hitting the public markets. MIT scientist Andrew McAfee weighs in on what actually constitutes a tech company.
5: Was WeWork ever a software
1: company? No. Ever a technology company? No. At, at all.
0: We'll be right back. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time.
8: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you.
1: Stand Andrew by in five seconds.
0: This is Squawk Pod. Today's anchors are Joe Kernan, Andrew Ross Sorkin, and Melissa Lee. Two, Here's Andrew. One,
1: up in Andrew,
5: Q. A A number of companies going public in 2019 uh, with hybrid definitions of high valuations in the private markets. Peloton, Uber, let's go through the list, Lyft, down double digits since going public. Meanwhile, Slack, which is software specific, down only 4% since its direct listing. It's a little bit better. Joining us right now to discuss the struggles facing hybrid companies in the public market is Andrew McAfee. He is the uh, principal research scientist at MIT. He's the author of More uh, from Less, the surprising story of how we learned to prosper using fewer resources and what happens next, which is out tomorrow. Nice to see you. Thanks for having me on. You've written a number of books over the years, and we've loved all all of them, typically around this idea of what's going to happen to the workforce and what's going to happen to society. This is a little bit different, yeah. I think, because it really relates to software versus everything else. Versus everything else, right. Right. But in terms of this specific issue, just, just to start the conversation on, on how these IPOs have traded and how people think about these kinds of companies, why do you think that the... the as, is it a valuation story that's taking place in the market or revaluation story that's taking place in the market? Or is it something else?
1: I think the valuation story points to something that might be pretty fundamental. Right. Which is that we're moving from an economy where atoms are central to an economy where bits are central. And these companies that you highlight, like Uber and Lyft and Airbnb, they're sitting in the middle of them. And right. the unit economics can be really difficult. You've got pure play software companies. And I think Slack is a really, really solid company. We've seen Zoom, Zoom. Right. The, the, the margins of completely bit-based businesses can be really, really attractive.
5: But so this whole, though, this whole idea, though, that we're going to graft software companies effectively onto more traditional companies yeah. was supposed to give a lot of these companies both a higher valuation,
1: a better business model. You think not so much? I, I'm still long-term really positive on... You know, call it the sharing economy on right. transportation network companies, on Airbnb, because what they're letting us do is make better use of these assets that are otherwise just kind of sitting around idle. The average passenger car is idle 95-ish percent of the time. Right. That's ridiculous. Let's put some software on top and increase the utilization of those things. But
5: what's then the appropriate way to think about the value of them?
1: I think you've got to bake it upward from the unit economics. If these companies can demonstrate that on a per-transaction basis they're doing well, then things start to look. Rosie, They're just incurring huge losses to set these businesses up and grow them. Was
5: WeWork ever a software
1: company? No. Ever a technology company? No. At at all?
5: So that's the other question. (laughs) When you have technology, at what point is it a hybrid company? Look, I'm a huge fan of Netflix. I mean, CNBC, we use computers. That's right. But really, it's a media company.
1: You're a media company, right? And I'm a customer of both Netflix and Peloton. Right. I wouldn't call either of those technology companies anymore. Of course, they use technology, but it's just kind of in the background for their streaming and in Peloton's case... A, a hardware business, so right. a, a really good piece of hardware.
6: So, what's that line? I mean, why why is WeWork different from a WeWork? If a WeWork is using, mm. let's say it's using a let's say it employs a, a platform that helps match up unused
1: office space with users.
6: Isn't that the same thing? You're, you're helping assets be utilized more efficiently.
1: Yeah, it kind of felt like a short-term rental company with a whole lot of dressing on top of it mm-hmm. that, that's kind of falling away. But there are these assets all over the economy that are underutilized. I do think we're going to use software to make much more efficient use out of them. And that's bad news in some cases for the but asset efficiency holders.
6: efficiency only comes to the owner of the assets. So if you have an Uber and Lyft who don't own the assets can they actually reap those benefits? Because it's, it, we see that they don't make any money, even though they, they are utilizing these assets better. Yeah. They don't own the assets. Yeah.
1: Well, Uber owns the, both the people who want to ride and the drivers. They, they own the, that relationship. They own that transaction. I'd okay. much rather own that uh-huh. than own a car. Or own a taxi. So or, when
6: you're saying utilizing assets more efficiently, what are efficiently? What are those assets that you're talking about? Is it a relationship? No, it's or is it a hard and, asset? It's the
1: spare room in my okay. house. Mm-hmm. It's the car that's otherwise sitting idle in the driveway. Uh, those assets are going to be put to a lot better use in the economy that we're creating. The whole reason I wrote this book is because essentially the total American economy is now weighing less year after right. year. And I think that's kind of an important, kind of a weird phenomenon. We weren't expecting it. I kind of walked around with this notion that as economies grow, they need more resources. They need more atoms. I I think that's just not true anymore. Where
5: does Beyond Meat,
1: that's not a tech company.
5: (laughs) But but it is trying to utilize atoms in a different way.
1: In a very different way with yes. a whole lot of technology, right? So is it implausible that we're going to look backward by the end of our lives and find it weird and barbaric that we used to get our protein by slaughtering animals? I don't know, but it's not crazy talk anymore. You mean look back on like 4 billion years of doing it yeah. that way? Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, for most of our history, we sat there and domesticated animals and didn't go well, I mean, on fossil fuels, and I, now I was do. thinking
4: about feeding my dogs, plant-based stuff, and I think most... Dogs probably can use meat as far as what nutrients are there in terms of carnivores because of evolution and years of yep. that. I don't know whether we're the same. We've moved. We're not dogs. We've moved beyond that. But I'm not necessarily convinced. I mean, the whole hunter-gatherer sure. uh, background that we we're, have. I'm not sure that, it, that that's. Progress to go to, to eating a bunch right. of. I'm not. In fact, there's been some studies recently that maybe vegan yeah. lifestyles are are not giving you. I'm not talking about all, veganism. Okay, whatever, whatever there are, but there but, are
1: other ways to get proteins right. than killing animals. Okay. Before we go, I just have
5: one <laughs> final question that's completely unrelated to all this. Every time you come on historically, we have talked about the, the workforce in America. Yeah. And whether it's about to get upended completely by technology. Yep. And if you look at the unemployment rate today, you would say something is amiss with the argument that you and I have had on this. Um, For years. For years.
1: Yep. And you're winning that argument, right?
5: I don't know if I'm winning it. (laughs) No, I think I was just as worried as you, actually. I think probably Joe is winning
1: that argument. So we don't see the era of massive technological unemployment anywhere in the evidence, anywhere at all. And I'm going to steal a line from Bob Gordon, a good economist. We don't have a job quantity problem. I think we have a job quality problem. And those great middle class jobs clerks and assembly line workers. Those are in the rearview mirror. We've got to invent the middle class for the second machine age, not for the industrial era. Andrew, it's great to see you. Always a pleasure. The book is called More From Less. Thank you very much. Thanks.
0: That's today's Squawk Pod. On our rundown tomorrow, Ed Stack took over as CEO of Dick's Sporting Goods from his dad when he was just 29 years old. He'll join Squawk Box to share stories from his journey, taking the company public to taking on American politics. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow.
7: We are clear. Thanks, guys.
8: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses,